we are going to um, finish today what has been kind of a study of the promises of Jesus. So we've been looking at, through the Gospels, there are actually 50 promises of Jesus that I identified in my own study of the promises of Jesus. Obviously, we're not going to touch on all 50, so I just kind of like hit on some particular ones that I felt were more relevant. Today, I'm going to be speaking to those who, um, can I say, want to mature in your following of Jesus beyond just caring about yourself. How many of you know that... In natural life, let's put spiritual stuff aside, just natural development, because you have spiritual development as a follower of Jesus, and there's also natural development as a human body, as a human person, biotic life. And uh, the essence of maturity, really, is moving from it's all about you and everyone around you serves you to becoming a contributor to ultimately, should you eventually get married, have children, have kids, and that kind of thing, your life becomes primarily about making a contribution to others. Am I, am I talking reality here? That's the essence. You're born, you're sucking the breast of your mom, you're having somebody else change your diapers, somebody else is carrying away. Every time you want something, you cry, and people need to come to run to your need, your aid, and then eventually your going to work to make money for a family and you're having to prioritize your schedule around other people considering a whole lot of others. That, so in other words, maturity is all about serving others. It's about living your life not for yourself, for others. And spiritual maturity, ultimately, my friends, is all about giving your life to Jesus. So it's not just like, I'm going to go serve other people so that I can become spiritually mature. It's following Jesus. But Jesus lives for others. So to the degree that we follow him, the degree that we live more and more, not for ourselves, but for others. And where did Jesus' biotic life end? On a cross. A complete and utter sacrifice for other people. You want to follow Jesus? This is where he'll lead us. Let me tell you something. It is beautiful. And every death to self in that process only reaps more resurrection life coming through you and ultimately through you into others and through them into others. So that's, that's the idea of um, kind of the promises that we're looking at today have to do with the calling and purpose of Jesus' disciples. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you, God, for... Your presence. We thank you that we're not just going through motions here. We're not just having a church service. Jesus, we are gathered together in your name. And it is our, uh, our privilege that you are here as we gather together in your name. That you're here. You're with us. And Lord, we look to you. Everything that we do in our own power, our own strength, is meaningless but we thank you that we don't have to live that way. Thank you that your spirit is with us. And Jesus, we, we desire to hear from you. We desire that you would speak to our hearts. We desire, Lord, and even ask you to come and rearrange our lives and our heart. We ask you to lead us to becoming more like you and that we would become less and less so that you could become more and more through us. And Lord, ultimately, we are praying 
those people outside of this building, in this city, in this state, in this country, in the, in, in the nations of the earth, Lord, we, we desire that they would see you through us. So manifest yourself to us. Lead us, speak to us, and we will go wherever you're taking us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Having said everything I just said, I just want to remind us, key scripture for this church is Isaiah 61. Um, we, we have said this so many times, but I know that there are you know, people who are newer and, and all that kind of thing, so we, we're going to keep this in front of us. When Jesus started his ministry, he quoted or he read from this passage of scripture, and it essentially was like the mission statement of his ministry. And the idea of this passage of scripture is essentially that those who receive the good news of him, who receive him, ultimately in their brokenness, in their, in their difficulty, in their, their, their broken circumstances, how many of you have ever had broken circumstances? How many of you have got some broken circumstances right now? In your broken circumstances, thank you, that, that, he, that you receive good news of his kingdom penetrating into that and that the ultimate good news is that he doesn't just build you or fix you or help you in your problems. He does do that, but he leads you to ultimately becoming a channel of, of blessing, a channel of helping to build others who have some things of need. Does that make sense? Let me say it this way. We are being rebuilt as a follower of Jesus so we can rebuild others. You follow? We are being rebuilt so we can rebuild others. Please don't misunderstand that. I don't rebuild Kyle or Mickey. But I tell you what, to the degree that I've followed Jesus and he has shown me things and I've embraced those things and they have rebuilt my life, I have authority to speak and to give those things away to help another person who has that same need. And it's actually him working through me. And you have the exact same privilege of following Jesus. So we are being rebuilt by him and being rebuilt by him in, through others around us in the, in the church so that we can also rebuild others by helping others be rebuilt so that they can help rebuild others. Another way of saying that is we're making disciples who will go and make disciples. That's what Jesus did. You can sum total Jesus' ministry in life with that. He went and made disciples who went and made disciples, who went and made disciples, who went and made disciples. So Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Can you say that uh, to your, of, of yourself? That the Spirit of the Lord God is upon you because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And if you go on, it talks about healing of the heart and liberating from captivity, but it goes on in the fourth verse and it says, And they shall rebuild old ruins. Who are they? It's the poor who receive the good news. They shall rebuild um, old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. You follow the, the big picture here? Gospel goes to impoverished circumstances. Is that only financial poverty? No. Any place of human brokenness whatsoever. Addiction. Divorce self-esteem issues, you name it, anything, the gospel comes in, rebuilds, Jesus rebuilds so that you can then go and rebuild others. So I'm going to say a couple promises. Here's, here's our promise. We're going to go through what? One, two, three, four, five, 
about five promises here. And quickly, let's just nail a couple here to begin with. The promises of Jesus that we would do his ministry. You guys open to living beyond yourself? As you, as you mature in Jesus, I'm telling you, something happens that you just begin to care about others receiving what you've received. And to give yourself to that care, that care comes from God. And can I say in the same way, now, now hear me, I need you to, to not be silly, in the same way that we have an instinctive drive to reproduce by way of a man and a woman coming together and making babies, there's an instinctive inherent drive inside of us. God puts inside believers a desire to reproduce faith into others, that the, the church would grow and expand. Does that make sense? That as you follow Jesus, that the, the nearness of that desire will grow and expand, and you'll desire that others hear, others know, and we got to do something about that. It's not just for us to desire, it's for us to act upon. So, promise number one. John 14, 12 says this, and hear this as a promise. Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. The, the, the reality of believing in Jesus, his promise is that we are going to do the works that he did also. So in other words, the ministry that he started, we as his believers are, are going to continue. That's a, that's a promise. Did you hear even the language that he used there? Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, now, what does believe in mean? Does it mean like you believe he is the son of God and that he rose from the dead and that, is it believing a bunch of facts about him? If you were learning, if you were listening last week, believing is placing your confidence in something. So he who follows Jesus really is what, what that means. To the degree you're following him, you are going to do the same works that he did and greater because he went to be with the Father, and his spirit now is, you're not following Jesus, the body, watching him do what he does. You're following Jesus, the same spirit that was with him is now in you, and you're following his leadership through that spirit, and that spirit is leading you to do what Jesus did. Yes. And it's a guarantee. So if the, if the church is not doing the works of Jesus, do we, is Jesus not following through with his promise? It's probably a problem with the church. And it's probably a believing issue. It's the confidence issue. It's actually following Jesus. Let's go to another promise. Mark 16, 15. Powerful. Jesus said to them, or he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, is that a promise? It's not a promise. It's a command. It's what he told us to do. These words frame the, the body of believers, and we've made church to be something else. Honestly, if we take a step back and look at our paradigm of church, it tends to be have church meetings on a Sunday and make sure that you've got like a, you know, I'm not mocking what we've done, you know, make sure we've got like a worship team and we got to have this and there's got to be a children's ministry and, you know, and, and, uh, and have a potluck supper and 
And Jesus is, the whole thing is framed in this idea of go do what I did. Preach the gospel, and in Matthew it's make disciples. That's it. That is why we are here. That's not the promise, though. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And we talked about what saved means last week. That is a promise, right? But wait, there's more. But he, who be, uh, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And here's the next promise that really that I wanted to point out today. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That is a promise. It's a fruit of believing that power is inside of you. Not because you are so powerful, because the Holy Spirit, who is with God, is, is God, together with God, dwells inside of you. The one who spoke this material world into being lives inside of you. And the power that he has, which I would imagine is pretty big, is inside of you. Power to heal a person from a cold. So... So we're opening up with those two promises, but I want to go on to Matthew chapter 4, if you'll turn with me to verse 19. Here's another promise. But again, this promise really has to do with a challenge, I guess you could say. And believe me, following Jesus, we, sometimes we try to make following Jesus so kind of easy, uh, so kind of like, almost like a, a quick sale. You know, we kind of like gloss over the part that is not going to be popular so that people will just receive what we have to say. But that's actually not helping anybody. The reality is this. To follow Jesus is ultimately going to mean he leads you. Guarantee you. Mark my words. He is going to lead you into regular moments of discomfort where you're going to have to in, it, obey, have a choice. I'm either going to obey and follow him and trust in him, in other words, believe him, or I'm just going to ignore him and do my own thing. That's, that's the reality. When Jesus went to Matthew, Matthew the tax collector and said, come, follow me, and Matthew left his tax booth, his source of income, to follow Jesus, that wasn't like, sure. That was like, gulp, okay. Choice. In, out. Life, death. Darkness, light. Choice. So Matthew 5, 19, having said that, 5, 4, 19, here's your promise. Then he said to, to, to them, this is another similar situation to the one of uh, the tax collector, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's a promise. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That, that promise did not just exist for Peter and what was it, John or Andrew? Rodney, Bible scholar, Peter and Andrew, thank you. James and John later. That did not just apply to them. This is the ministry of Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is what Jesus is actually doing. So just a couple thoughts. First of all, our call, just to make it very clear, our call is to follow Jesus. 2,000 years ago, when people physically followed Jesus in his literal body, they, in order to do so, they had to leave 
their, their space, their world, their rhythms, their thing in order to keep up with him, in order to stay with him. That pattern has not changed. We've made it something different. Now, I'm not saying that you need to like leave Detroit and like, you know, go to Toronto and then go to whatever. I'm not saying you physically like Jesus. Where is he today? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the moment that you receive Jesus, he's going to begin leading. If you truly have a sincere conversion, a sincere confession, Jesus, you are my Lord, lead me, I guarantee you he's going to begin speaking to you, and what he speaks to you is going to require faith. Believing or denying. A choice to say, Jesus, you're still my Lord, or you know what, I think maybe rather not. And so much in Christianity rejects and resists Jesus, but we continue doing the church thing, and we just put a a fish over it, or a cross over it, a Christian emblem and call it Christian, when Jesus is no longer the one leading. I don't want to be a part of that. That's called religion. What Jesus is building is fully devoted to him. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Most of you know that, and I say often, when I first became a follower of Jesus, immediately he began to work in me to convict me about certain things in my lifestyle. Because I was a typical suburban, middle-class American teenager doing what they did. There was a party every weekend. The goal of every weekend was to find where the party was. If there wasn't a party, then where can we be that adults and police aren't around so that we can get high, get drunk, and try to find, you know, someone to be with? I'll let you fill in the blanks on what that might be. That was the goal. Every weekend, the whole social world revolved around that. And then I become a I become a follower of Jesus, and I don't know any other followers of Jesus, but inside of me, I begin to feel a grieving. It's like this life, this thing is, I can tell that this isn't Jesus', is, this isn't his will. This is like, and then I'm reading in the scripture, and I'm hearing, I'm reading all these things about like the unrighteous, and, the, and, and I'm realizing this is, like this stuff that I and my friends are doing is the stuff that the Bible describes as sin. And so I'm saying I follow Jesus, but I'm actually like living in sin. And it was the most compromised feeling. I had a choice, my friends. And I, and I spent a year trying to follow Jesus while rejecting what he was doing in me. And it's a horrible feeling. Compromised, the worst. So Jesus wasn't physically like he did with his earthly disciples. He led them from from the Sea of Galilee, and then they went to Tiberias, and then they were in Capernaum, and he was physically leading them. That same Jesus was leading me, not to a different city, to make an adjustment. And in the same way that his physical disciples 2,000 years ago had to decide, am I going to follow him, or am I going to miss my father's funeral? You know what I'm saying? I had to choose. Am I going to allow him to make some adjustments to my life, when I don't know any other Christians and everyone in my world is going to think I am a weirdo if I stop doing what they do, right? Choice. And it was eventually, as many of you know the story, I met some Christians and I found the courage to make some serious decisions and voila, like life changed. And you know what happened? Everyone in my life did think I was a weirdo. <laughs> and they still do. <laughs> they, they're like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> That's fine. My reward is in heaven for following Jesus. So our call is to follow him. But secondly, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
usually the following of him begins with stuff that he does in your own life. As you begin to mature, it has more and more to do with stuff in other people. You're following Jesus is following him into your involvement of being his agent in another person's life. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. What he's saying is I am a fisher of men. That's what I do. That's what I'm doing. I was sent in this earth with, with a fisherman with nets. And by the way, some of you, you know, you get onto the Detroit River and you find, you know, these guys fishing down there. <laughs> is that gross? Like, Detroit River, I don't know. I, I haven't been here long enough to know it's gross, but it looks good to me. I don't know. Some of those fish they bring out, I'm going to eat. But they're doing this thing. That's not what they did 2,000 years ago. To fish was to have a big net. It was to, it was to catch large groups of fish from a fishing boat. So it's not, don't think of this. Jesus had a net. And his way of doing ministry was to gather a harvest of fish into what he was doing. And that's what he's saying that we're called to do. So a couple thoughts that I just want to share with us. Um, this, one is that making disciples will be the result of your following Jesus. Am I right? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Making disciples is going to become your, the result of you following Jesus. And I know we're, we've been talking a lot, and I believe God's speaking to us as a people over the past season about breaking through moments of despair, and there are people who are facing circumstances, and we're doing that, and I'm receiving from it, you know. I, I'm being encouraged, but we need to have in our spiritual diet some things that say, hey, just remember, this thing is all about Jesus using you to reach them. It's never going to only be about you. So one is making disciples will always be the, uh, be the result of following Jesus. And then secondly, Jesus will lead you into making disciples. There's a church that um, recently started about a year and a half ago or something, or something similar to this church. And uh, it was planted in California, Huntington Beach, California, from a guy, a couple, who had been in a large kind of, um, a very large, big program-based church in New York City. And this guy had been in ministry for years, and some other guy came and basically made a bold proposal and said, hey, I feel in my heart that I want to disciple you. And, uh, you know, let me, let me, I'd like to just do that with you, help you in your journey. And so he did this. So this pastor and this associate pastor, if I can say that, you following, in New York City, met this other guy, and this other guy wanted to help him. And he did this, and, and in the course of being discipled by this, by this person, he made it clear that, look, part of you receiving discipleship has to be you now go and do the same. So you go find 10 other people, and you do what I just did with you, you go do that. And so he started doing it. And as he did, he began to build this thing. You know, just it started happening. And the kind of culture of the church that they were a part of kind of clashed with what he was trying to do. And eventually they realized, this isn't going to work. You know, we're, we're doing this, and you're trying to do this. And so eventually they said it would be better for you to go to Huntington Beach, California. They started to feel God lead them in that direction and go plant a church. And, of course, it happened right when his wife got pregnant. And, uh, and they had just gotten a huge raise, and they had to 
go plant a church with no guarantee of income, with now a baby on its way, and that's usually the way God does it, by the way, to make sure that it's total obedience, total faith, total trust in him. And so they went out there, and the idea was to plant a church, but he said, Jesus never said to plant churches. That wasn't, that's never been the call. He said, make disciples. And planting churches happens as a result of doing the former. So he went out with the intention of making disciples. And he was saying, most churches are planted with, we get our meeting together, and we get this group together, and we get our stuff, and we've got the kids' ministry, and we've got the preach, and we've got the this and the that, and we have this stuff, and then we hope that through this thing, we're going to end up making disciples. As opposed to, go make disciples. Connect with people. Serve them. Give them your life. Impart to them. Help them in their journey. And as a result, a gathering begins and a church is planted. And so they, they started to do that. And I want to say, I believe that there's something of that spirit that we as a local church need to take on ourselves because it's something of the spirit of, of heaven. We're not about having a border city church name so that everybody knows of our fantastic meetings. We're here to empower sons and daughters of God to, to impact society. That's the best thing. We can do that. Empower people to rise up. In obedience to Jesus, following him, he's going to lead all of us into impacting those around us. And that they would become disciples and then go make disciples. We good? Let's look at some more um, ideas here. What is fishing for men? Well, I don't want to re-preach last Sunday's message, but we just by way of reminder, we looked at Scripture where Jesus says, John chapter 10, that I am the door. He who enters by me will be saved. And we looked at what, what does saved mean. It's, it's the whole picture of, of being delivered, being made completely whole. That's, that's what it is to enter into the door, and the door is the door into the sheepfold. And so he says, I am the door. In other words, you can't get into the sheepfold without passing by me. And the sheepfold represents the kingdom of heaven. You starting to remember? Is this starting to come? The sheepfold is the kingdom of God. That is the quest of, of us, is to have the kingdom of God, the king's domain, the will of God being done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that happens in the sheepfold. And Jesus is the door of the sheepfold because he's the king of the kingdom. And how do you enter into, what does it mean to pass by Jesus to enter into the sheepfold? It means basically, that we looked at last week, to not basically, this is what it means. It means confessing Jesus as Lord. Confession of Jesus as Lord. Not confessing him as my personal Savior. He can't even be our Savior short of us confessing his Lordship. In other words, I can't follow Jesus until I come into a decision, Jesus, you are now leading me. I hope we hear that, right? To follow Jesus, which is our call, it begins with the confession, Jesus, you are now my Lord. I surrender rights to my life. My life is now yours. Does that mean you're making a confession to live perfectly for the rest of your life? No. no. Thank you. Marilyn, well done. No, it does not. I've been doing this thing. I shudder to think how long I've been doing this thing. I got saved at 18. I'm 40, so that's 22 years. I assure you I'm not living perfectly. But I can assure you this. I am living every day in the confession. Jesus is my Lord. 
And when I can discern that I'm stepping outside from his will, then it's my opportunity to recognize that and, and to allow him to do something. That's what it is, to follow Jesus. Let's not complicate this thing. It's not like three points and dot this I and cross. It's just being real with him. And in this real relationship with him, it's recognize who he is and who you are. He's God, you're man or woman. So, thank you. So what, uh, what is fishing for men? It's bringing people, it's helping people to discover the door and, and helping to lead them into that sheepfold. The sheepfold of the kingdom of heaven. Life in the kingdom of heaven. Life under the jurisdiction of his leadership and lordship. That's what it is. And then once they enter in, it's helping them know how to live in this sheepfold because there are some things that I learned from Jesus of his will, his kingdom, that now because I've learned from him, I can help others to learn. Does that make sense? As you follow Jesus, there are going to be things that you learn that, that power, that as you yield to his lordship and you follow him and you surrender your life, you're going to gain authority in whatever it is that he's leading you into so that you can then help others in that very same thing. That's what discipleship is. Another way that Jesus put it is make disciples, baptize them. In other words, bring them into a place, a decision of faith in coming into the sheepfold, baptize them, and then teach them everything I have commanded you. It's simple, right? Receive Jesus, help them do that, and then teach them everything it is that you've learned from him. Boom, that's it. Everybody got it? That's our call. You want to know why we exist here as a church? That is it. And it is not the pastor. It is every child of God has been sent into this mission. So I would say this, to, to maybe overstate the obvious, because that's helpful sometimes. The first step in this is to make a decision to follow Jesus. Like, how can I enter into this thing that we're talking about? That's where it begins. Making a decision and a confession. Jesus, you are my Lord. And so, why am I saying that? Because there could be people in this room right now, you know that you are not actually following him. Maybe you're a regular attendance of church, maybe you pray to him sometimes, but you're, there's areas that you are resisting and hiding, and it has to start with following Jesus. Not that you made a decision in 1988 to be, become a follower of Jesus. Today, now, follow Jesus, okay? Secondly, would be, I would say, if you haven't, what's going on here? <laughs> Are you going to serenade me? La la. Sorry. What? Okay. Boy, that was an awkward moment. Huh? Am I not what? Uh, not, well, kind of, not really. Oh, I'm not, I'm not closing yet. I probably have about 20 more minutes. <laughs> so, um, so the first step is following Jesus. Thank you, Kurt. The second step would be, I mean, if we're going to do this thing for real, the second thing in, the, in following Jesus is that we are ourselves being discipled. In other words, what I'm saying is having somebody that we are, that's in a journey with us, that, is, that we're posturing ourselves to receive input from. Because it's not only receiving input from Jesus, it's also Jesus gives some of his input to us, not just directly to us, through other people. 
In other words, if the church is built on the mission of going and making disciples, it would suggest that every single person needs to be discipled in order to make disciples. It is hypocrisy to say, yes, Jesus, I will go make disciples, but I'm not going to become disciple. All those other people need it. I don't. You see what I'm saying? So the second step, follow Jesus, but then who is speaking into your life? I mean, I just m- mentioned two men in my life, Tyron Daniel, Steve Sudworth, total access to my finances, to my marriage, to my, well, <laughs> let me tell you what I mean by that. Access to speak into, where I will regularly, my, my concerns, my ideas of what I want to do in the church, my every, anything like that, to speak into anything like that. Why? Because I need to receive discipleship in order for it to be a safe place for me to influence other people. Never submit to a man who's not submitted to a man. Never be discipled by somebody who's not going to be discipled. So that's the way it flows. So the second step is, who are you? Who's, who, who are you inviting input, following their walk, open to learning from, seeking to find Jesus through them? And it's various things, you know, it could, be, it could be that one of you are powerfully impacted by something Rodney says in a conversation to you, but you're not meeting with him regularly, he's not walking a close journey with you, whereas Mickey over here could be speaking in, on an every other week basis, you know what I'm saying? So, the, so if we want to enter into this thing, we need to be discipled, and then the obvious next thing, if you follow the logic, is that you yourself are looking for the people around you, who do I need to impact? So if all you have received from Jesus is you have given your life to him and become born again, you already have something that millions and billions of people in this earth don't have. I'm saying that to say, some of you could say, well, I'm not ready to make disciples. If you're following Jesus, you are ready to begin impacting other people. It, that's the cool thing about this. Jesus, there's not some like seminary thing. By the way, what seminary did the 12 apostles go to? Honestly, it's like, it's like today, we, like, we, like Reverend so-and-so and Bishop Apostle this and like all these credentials. What did Jesus, Jesus walked with 12 fishermen and like tax collectors and zealots and you know what I'm saying? They walked with them. This is that. Community church life is the community of disciples where we're learning and we're walking in real life, not just in Bible school, not to minimize value in Bible school, but that is not going to make you a disciple maker. Being discipled and being in an atmosphere of discipleship and going and making disciples, that's what, and following Jesus, that's what makes you a disciple maker. So how do we have the goods? I just want to end this with just a couple, a couple things. And by the way, if you don't even know like, what that might look like as far as like, if you were to think through, there are like 10 people in my life that I have a connection with and, and maybe I could impact some of them and they're not, they're, not, they're not going to church and they're not confessing Jesus as their Lord. And I, but I have no idea what to do. What I would say is whoever is discipling you, ask them what they think that you should do but it could be a whole bunch of things. If you don't know anything else, like some of you go to DRMM with us men or go to Durfee Elementary School like Minda shared earlier and tutor and mentor some kids and build relationship. 
Don't cram the Bible down their throat. Just love them. Like, help them to learn how to read, you know? And as that happens, a relationship is built, and you begin to have influence. And you say, well, it sounds like you have an agenda. Without a doubt, we have an agenda. Unapologetically. We want people to see Jesus. So bad it hurts. There's no doubt we've got an agenda. But it's not to get something from people to join our church. It's that they would come into the sheepfold and discover Jesus and become a part of what he's doing. That's it. So uh, how do we have the goods die? That's the first thing. I thought that was kind of funny. You were like, what do you mean? Die. John chapter 12. And honestly, what I'm about to say to you, it sounds horrible, sounds scary, and, and, it, and it likely should be to a degree. Let me assure you, it is beautiful because of what it actually means. John 12, 24 through 25, Jesus, again, here's another promise if you're ready for it. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. How pitiful it would be for my life that had so much potential to never bear fruit as a result of not dying. Here's the result, here's the end of that though. But if it dies it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Please hear this. And I can remember in the, in the early days of my following Jesus, when it went not just from the partying thing, but as I mentioned last week, and I hope you're all comfortable with this, that there was a pornography addiction. I was probably like 18, 19 years old, and all I knew of sexuality throughout the entirety of my childhood, from the age of nine, when my brother, who was 13 at that time, shared his, or I became exposed somehow to his pornographic magazines, tucked away underneath his bed, and then it was MTV, and it was the movies that my parents allowed us to watch, and all, that was all I knew of sexuality. And so when I became a Christian, that was the next thing that this Jesus, as he was leading me, began to deal with. And I began to realize my looking at females in that, through that lens, it, it grieves him. And it was the next thing of like, do I follow or do I resist? Do I allow him to have his way or do I just try to keep being a good church guy but do this area of my life my own way? Are you following what I'm saying? Is this thing real or not? Following Jesus or not? And uh, I remember when I made that decision, I'm going to begin to yield. It was a long journey from about, I don't know, 18 years old through to 19 and a half or something like that. Right before I met Minda, by the way, I began to get breakthrough. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Lord. Um, <clears throat> it was in, I can remember feeling agony and, and, and I'm being very vulnerable with you here. It was like detox. Do you guys know what I mean? Like a heroin addict. It was like detox. I mean, there was such, such an overwhelming grip of me wanting to look at this thing. And I can just remember, Lord, when will this end? I'm wanting to follow you, but I am in agony. I'm in agony. And it was following Jesus through the process now, it does, I don't believe it had to have been the, the degree of agony that it was because I didn't really know how to worship Jesus 
like I do now, to, to kind of put my affections on him rather than the affections of my flesh. That's a big part. But what I'm saying is that on the back end of that death, it was like a death. To follow Jesus, I had to die to something that was so much a part of me, part of every, my wiring. And I had to die to that. You know what the back end of that was? I remember me and this guy, Kenneth, who was the cell group leader, the home group leader. And Kenneth and I were meeting with this other guy, Chuck. And we were going to just kind of spend some time talking about men, men issues. And I remember sitting down and he started telling us that he was struggling with the same stuff, sex, sexual stuff. And I remember I began to open my mouth and share my testimony, just share it with him. And it was like Holy Spirit, presence of God, and Chuck was just lapping it up. And I realized all that agony I went through, and not only am I delivered, I just helped somebody else out. And through the years, I helped this guy, I helped this guy out. That's the reality of following Jesus. But unless the grain goes in and dies, it will not bear fruit. But if you will die to self in following Jesus, because what he leads you into is going to feel like death, and it is. It's death to your own will, your own self, your own fleshly impulses. It will yield a harvest of people. And how do we have the goods? So one is die, and then the second, and we'll end here, Kurt. <laughs> Shame. Don't you love Kurt? He is such a servant of servants. I feel so bad. He was just wanting to serve, and I, like, put him on the spot. Such an awesome guy. The second thing is abide. And we'll just park it here. John 15, 5, and this is the last promise of Jesus that we'll look at in the series. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. <laughs> so this whole thing just simply boils down to this, guys. Life real life with him, abiding in him. In other words, everything where we're trying to hide and we're trying to postulate and, and kind of put him here and he can do this, but he's not going to do this, we cut him off. But it's in abiding in him, real living relationship, heart connection, that, uh, that, we, that we find actual real life and end up bearing fruit. In real estate, because a lot of you know I practice real estate, when I go to uh, the office up in Royal Oak, and they're all about training and all this kind of stuff, there's something that happens when I have gone to those training sessions. They're, they're offered throughout the week, and then I connect with this person, this person. There's, a whole, there's like a you know, few hundred agents that work out of that office. I catch something. Do you know what I'm saying? I go to the office, and it's like, and, and I'm sitting in a training session, or I'm talking to this coach or something and, I, and my, my wheels start turning and I start to think and I start to it's like I get in the game and then I leave that place and I feel much sharper and I feel much more strategic and much more and there's something about abiding in a zone, being in it that it's like you catch it and Jesus is a zone you abide in the Jesus zone and it doesn't just happen haphazardly, you have to seek it but you'll find it and you press in and you search for him and as you do, it's just something, it's like, it's just on you. You don't have to try to bear fruit, it's just there. It starts coming up out of you. 
just like a tree. A tree doesn't like squeeze out an orange. It just comes up out. I am the vine. You abide in me. The life flow that is in me is just going to flow through you and it's going to produce fruit. That's where we'll end it. It's a heart connection and it's seeking and depending upon him. I want to ask you if, if you could uh, maybe just close your eyes for a second.